Okay, our text is Exodus chapter 32 and verse uh, 29 is where we'll start uh, this morning. I just kind of might say by way of review. Last week we saw that uh, Moses returns from the mountain and he's filled with some righteous indignation. He is upset. The people have suddenly decided to copy what they do in Egypt. They worship the golden calf, and when they do that worship, the people of Egypt, then they would uh, they'd do into their dances, and then they'd be taking their clothes off, and they'd be drinking and things, and that, that's the way they learned it. They said, well, you know, that's not completely right, so we need to build an altar and say that, that Jehovah, or the name Yahweh is what they used, but Yahweh uh, delivered us through this golden calf. And... Um, God was ready to destroy the entire nations and start a new nation out of, out of Moses. And God said, I'm going to destroy them all. And Moses interceded for them. So thank the Lord for that. You know, but the problem is, and that's the, been the basis for this series because it's throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, that that's the very thing that happens. Now, a lot of you are old enough to remember back uh, uh, when the churches, uh, you know, we had the hymns, uh, churches had standards. You met Sunday morning for Sunday school, Sunday evening, and so forth, and Wednesday and all that. And, and, and you dressed up to go to church, things of that nature. And, you know, all of a sudden they said, well, you know, they have this kind of music in the world. Let's, let's get that and just do it in Jesus' name. So if we'll add some of the names of the Lord to it and some of the names, from, some things out of the Bible to it, it'll be all right in the church. They start doing that, and they start dancing in church, and they start wearing less clothes in the church. They start. Uh, doing everything disrespectful of the all-holy God in His house. Don't forget, Jesus uh, cleaned out the temple two different times in His ministry when they were bringing the world into the uh, house of God, the very temple. It's supposed to be holy. And so, uh, God doesn't put up with that. And so, uh, here we are, we're looking at something now that Brother Osborne told you about earlier, that's uh, these textbooks and all that, or should I say library books, and they got them there and he didn't tell you anything. He brought me in, and unfortunately, I uh, listened to several of the things they have in there, saw the titles of the books and some other things there. We're not going to go into that, but I'm just saying, uh, if it was, if you going into one of those uh, bookstores, it would be under a hardcore pornography listing is where that would be, just so that you know that. And there's a law already, without making new laws, against child pornography and uh, trying to get child, children involved. And, and that's exactly what it's doing, trying to uh, do that to your children. Well, uh, God judged throughout the Bible people that were His people. They were His people. In the Old Testament, it was the people of Israel. In the New Testament, you see the churches one after one coming down, being destroyed. And the reason for that is they decided we, we still want to be like the world, so let's incorporate the world into our worship. Let's do this and change our lives and go that, but yet we'll still love Jesus. We'll do it all in Jesus' name. No seven churches in Revelation went out of existence for that. Israel went into captivity for it. Israel lost so much. So understand, it never, 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 never pleases God to do that. It is an abomination to the Lord. 
to his name. So, uh, the people who are saying, well, listen, this is for God. No, it's not. Think of Moses. He comes down, he sees it, he throws those tablets down that have the Ten Commandments on it. He'll go back up the mountain, spend another 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord has to, uh, by his finger, put on new tablets of stone the Ten Commandments. But before he does that, he calls out to the people and he says, Who is on the Lord's side? And only the people out of the tribe of Levi, I mean, there's 12 tribes, but only the ones out of the tribe of Levi come. Now, all the people were invited to come who were going to be on the Lord's side. But sometimes peer pressure speaks louder than the call of God to people's hearts. And so, so few responded, just like this pornography thing that we're talking about in, the, in, in this country, but in this, this town, this county, conservative Marion County, oh no, oh no. And so, and that's going to hit our public schools, and how is God going to judge a lot of people talk about when you hear things like this, man, the Lord's got to come soon. The Lord has His time. But I will say this, if He does come very soon, which He very well could before we even finish the service, but, but if He comes, I want to be found faithful. I want to be found on the Lord's side, fighting the devil. Not trying to be a peacemaker between the devil and the church. No, we're not into that and we're not going to do that. The Lord's side is the right side to be on and there's no other side to go. And so, we need to take that stand for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But let's have a word of prayer, then we'll get into our text. Father, I pray that as we've already gone over some of the things that uh, we've done in the past few weeks, as we go further into this chapter, may it help us to get our focus on our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'd ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now we want to look at verse 29 in our text as we uh, move on from what we've seen here. Because Moses has said, who is on the Lord's side? And these people come. And now he's calling, basically he's calling for revival. That's what he's doing. And so, who is on the Lord's side? Uh, we want you to consecrate yourself to God. Consecrate. We'll say more about that in just a few moments. Verse 29 says, For Moses, uh, uh, yeah, for Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you blessing this day. So, after this call for revival and to consecrate themselves, a man has to understand that Moses is there, just like a preacher in every church should be. I mean, not just his church, every church, anyone standing behind this pulpit, every preacher as a man of God, needs to understand 
They're speaking to people for God. It's not their thoughts. It's not their theories. It's God's thoughts. It's God's Word. It's God's truth. And how it applies to the day. But we also speak to God for people. Now, those people that are taking a stand with that pornography group, I pray every one of them gets saved. Every one of them gets saved and turn from that filth. But what does it mean to consecrate? You know, we say a consecrate, he's a consecrated Christian, she's a consecrated Christian. What does that mean? Well, just going through some various things, looking these definitions up through the lexicons and the other things from God's Word and uh, uh, things that we have available at our hands, uh, to consecrate. It is an act or a ceremony even of separating from a common to a sacred use or a devoting or dedicating of a person or a thing to the service as well as to the worship of God. That's what it is. Consecration does not make a person or a thing of and in itself holy. But what it does do, it declares it to be devoting itself or whatever thing that it has, devoting it to God. Matter of fact, uh, when you look in uh, the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel there, but you'll see there that Hannah, who was in 1 Samuel, was Hannah's mother, she prayed for a boy. And she consecrated it even before the baby was born. And when the baby was at an age, he was weaned and all that, she took him to the temple and that baby, that boy, that child stayed there because she consecrated. She gave that child to the God. And we know that there are two books in our Bible named after Samuel, First and Second Samuel. She consecrated it to God. And I think that even now that they're both in heaven, there, he has thanked her a thousand times for consecrating me to God. And she's probably thanked him for staying faithful to it. But you see, that's the idea. It's a divine service that we want to do for the Lord that he would have us to do. You've heard me say many times from this pulpit, God's will, God's way, in God's timing. That must be the thing for our life. Know what God's will is. Then do God's will God's way. And then do it in God's timing. Let Him lead. Let Him do it. God does, has the timing already set. We just need to get on board and follow that. And so this divine service and whatever you're doing that you know God's called you to do is a divine service by the way. Now, I remember this idea of consecration. When I was in Bible college, I, I, I remember that there were certain students that just seemed to be the leaders, the spiritual leaders. 
Man, they were the amen people. They were the ones, hey, let's go on visit. Hey, let's go do this. Let's go do that. And, you know, they were there. They were standing up. They would speak up, you know, and in the classrooms and all that for the Lord. Then it come around a spring break, Christmas break, Thanksgiving. Whatever those breaks were, or maybe just going home for a, a few days, you know, on the weekend. They'd come back, and the first invitation, they were the first ones down there at the altar and they had messed up when they went home. I mean, they had messed up. I would hear about some of them that messed up, not, not all of them, but I'd hear about some of them that messed up. And they were coming to get it right with God, and I'm thankful they did. But you see, sometimes that teaches you something else. Uh, your personal walk with God must be a personal walk with God. You see, uh, a lot of people get moved by what are other people around me doing? See, these, these young men, young ladies at that age in college, hey, everybody is, is spiritual. Everybody's, oh, they're happy. They're praising the Lord. They're singing these things and all that. And uh, they, they study the Bible every day. And so they're all happy. They're excited. They're getting part of it. They're enjoying it because their peer group is doing it. But they got away from the peer group when they go home. And it's not that they have a bad home. A lot of those came from some good homes. It's they didn't have their peer group. And they go another direction. In other words, their Christianity depended on how the people around them acted and the people they ran with were. If they were spiritual people, I'm going to be a spiritual person. That's not, that's not the thing about it. Your walk with God is what produces what you're body does, what your spirit does, it's through that relationship in His Word, in prayer, and serving God, He directs you what to do, whether anybody else will do it or not. You see, that's why a Moses stands out. That's why a Paul stands out. That's why a King David stands out. And on you can go down the line, those people through the Word of God, they stood when no one else would stand. I mean, look at David. Let me go down there and fight that giant. I mean, King Saul is the tallest man in the whole group. And you think, well, hey, I'll go down after him. But no, he's not going to do it. There's a lot of other guys. They're, they're warriors. They won't go down. You know what the Bible records? After David slew Goliath, in years following, there were men that were part of the mighty men of David that now had the courage to go in and face to face with giants and beat them. One man was, I mean, that guy, I don't know what was with him. I mean, I, I don't have the faith of this one guy. I don't even know his name. All I know, the Bible says it was snowing. There's a lion down there in a pit. He jumps down into the pit and kills the thing. They don't have guns back then. I mean, he just goes after it and kills it, takes it on. Hand-to-hand -hand combat with a lion. Can you imagine that? And he kills it. Now, that's a man that learned faith from David. Now, you think about that. You stand because God wants you to stand. You stand the way He wants you. You stand according to the Word of God. 
And people need to see, fellow Christians, your family, others need to see that what God can do when a man will, or a woman will really trust God and do it. And it's not because David could uh, bench press 500 pounds, the other guys couldn't bench press. No, he, there's nothing about that. It's not because, oh, they've got these, oh, these wonderful abilities and I could never do that. With all the abilities, that person that you admire the most in their spirituality cannot do any of that without the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit of God working through them. That's the key to the victory. That's the key to their spiritual life is they've devoted it to God, they've consecrated it to God, and they let the Holy Spirit lead them through the Word of God, and they're able to get those things done. And that's how you live the Christian life. Now, it's unfortunate that that is ignored in the day in which we live. Now, we need to understand that if you're going to stand, you've got to be in the Word of God. The Word of God must become very important to you. One of the things that uh, sometimes I'll counsel people, I say, you know, I'm, I don't have time to get this out. Schedule yourself. Schedule yourself. Schedule yourself to do whatever you do. Look, Boy, I want to read the Bible. Man, I get busy throughout the day. Schedule yourself to get up about 30 to 40 minutes or if not an hour before you have to go to work, before you have to get out of bed. Schedule yourself to get out of bed and get in the Word, have prayer, and then go face the day. And as you're going throughout the day, if you've been reading the Word and you thought on that Word and you retain that Word in your heart and mind, then you've got something to meditate in those free times, those times you're driving down the road, those times that you're doing other things that doesn't require that. And man, it's amazing how God can speak to your heart and really begin to open the door and help you to see things. And two things I can say through ministry in my own personal life is that it's been the Word of God. God's given me scriptures in setting out to do various things I would set out to do. Another thing is hearing preachers. I was sharing with family yesterday how I just listened to an old recorded message of Vance Havner. I got some things there that just really stood out to me, and I've added that to my life. And, and the Bible says it. I mean, we're told in Timothy through reading, talking about the Scriptures, because they didn't have them at home like we do. Through reading, the exhortation. And a lot of you know I have trouble reading now because of my eyes and things like that. So most of mine consists of listening to Alexander Scurby read the Bible. And, and yet, uh, he'll say things, and I kind of, you know, you want to stop it and say, okay, he said this or something like that, and then, then start the recording again. And, and you pick up things, and you, you get that down in your mind, and you go back, and then you do get the books out, and you search those things. And sometimes you get much more hearing him read it than me sitting there reading it, because I'll read it. Then after I hear him say it, I said, how did I miss that? How did I miss that? You've got to spend time in the Word of God and let Him be your guide. Let Him be your stay. And when hard things come to your life, just realize that those hard things, those trials, those troubles, when they come to your life, God has allowed them to come to your life. It is the trial of your faith. It is your opportunity to prove, 
I love God and I'm sticking with Him no matter what my circumstances are. I'm with God. See, that's the difference. And so, you see these folks that uh, they break. They don't know how to stand alone and they're not really standing alone. They're standing with the Lord. And really, there's a greater strength in standing with the Lord than standing with good Christians, although we should stand with good Christians. But your strength will come from the Lord. Get involved with the Lord. Get involved in His work. You know, what I see, if you have a daily involvement with the Lord and you're a parent, your grandparent, brother, sister, you walk with God. You may have family that starts getting away from God. You may have family that's not saved. And you start uh, getting away from the Lord. You're not going to church like you used to. You're not respectful of the things of the Lord. All of a sudden your standards are going out the door. Understand, you might have been in that family. God has you in that family. He gave you your children. He gave you your grandchildren. Don't be responsible by your life of those children, grandchildren, not wanting anything to do with Jesus and going to hell. Be a godly mother. Be a godly dad. Be a godly grandfather. Be a godly grandmother. Be a godly brother or sister. Listen, devil gets into Christian homes. He gets into Christian homes. I mean, he gets in the homes where they read the Bible, prayed, and went to church all the time, and still he gets in the home. Why? Because the relationship with Jesus Christ is a personal relationship. Which brings me to this point. Be sure that what you have is Jesus Christ and not religion. Even in a fundamental Baptist church that preaches the Word, builds its standards on the Word of God that takes all these stands for the Lord that the world shakes their head at, and the worldly churches shake their head at. But even people within this standard, there are people who were, grew up in it, they were raised in it, they know it to be the truth, but they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What happened? Well, Maybe when they're little children, somebody said, say this prayer. Okay, buddy, you're going to heaven. You said this prayer. But that child doesn't understand he's a sinner. Well, he said, forgive me my sins. Well, that's great. But does he know he's a sinner? You see, one thing about sin, if you're right with God, if you're saved, you're, you start walking in sin, there will be a conviction. There will be something there. You might be laughing and having a good time with everybody else, but you walk in that door at night, or you get away from them, and you're feeling that guilt. And you're doing everything you can to justify it in your own mind. As a matter of fact, you don't even want to be around Christians because, because being around them makes you feel like, ooh, they're down on me. They don't even know what you did, but you think they're against you because... You've done something. They don't even know what you've done. You were out there with a filthy mouth. You were out there drinking. You were out there doing whatever else that is going on. 
Look, folks, growing up in a church doesn't make you a, a Christian. Growing up in a godly home doesn't make you a Christian. It's coming by first realizing you're a sinner, but understand what it means to be a sinner. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. What, what, what do we mean? we mean the wages of sin is death? That's final, complete separation from God forever in the lake of fire. That spirit that was made in the image of God that indwells you, your own human spirit. See, it's your human spirit that's made in the image of God, not your body. And that human spirit, cast into the lake of fire, will never cease to exist what the body's like there, I don't know, but it's got a body it's in because it can't escape. And that body will never cease to exist. That body will never uh, be able to escape. And that body is doomed there in that lake of fire. It'll be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever and ever. Feel whatever you and I would feel in a fire today. But no hope. No hope. Because they decided too late. One second after death is too late. Decided too late. Oh, maybe I better get saved. Realize the wages of sin is death, and we've all sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're going to come to Jesus Christ, understand, there are examples in the Bible, people that murdered, sexual perversion, thieves, on you could go down the line of the type of people that got saved. And I like what 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, when it names some of those kind of people, it says, such were some of you. But you're washed. How were they washed? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Their sin is cleansed. But you're sanctified. The Lord not only cleanses them of their sin, now He comes in, He, he dwells into, in them, and He wants to use them for His service. He sanctified them, set them apart to serve Him. Even though that was their past, God can use you. But He's got to save you first. And you've got to be willing. And when you're coming to Him, you're saying, Okay, Lord. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That is Jesus Christ's righteousness, not your own. Jesus' righteousness is what gets us accepted into heaven because He's the one that died on the cross, was buried, and rose from the dead. He's the one that shed that blood for us. He paid our sin. He paid every sin that you will ever commit. None of us were born at that time, and yet ahead of time He's paying for every sin you or I would ever commit. And raising from the dead, he was victorious over hell and the grave, as uh, uh, Revelation chapter 1, 18 tells us that he has the keys of hell and of death. He'll save you. You come to him, and when you're giving your life to him, you, you know what, what are the saved people called in heaven? The bride of Christ. Why? Because coming to him is just like people that have walked down this aisle and giving their vows each to other, and then they walk out of here married. They're committed to one another. Jesus Christ has already said, I do to anyone who will come. But your responsibility is to say, I do to Him. Realize, 
when he comes into your heart and life, he must be the head. And you must be subjected unto him. But he loves you like no one has ever loved you before. And he'll love you that way throughout all eternity. But you must come to him. Do you know? Do you know that if you die today that heaven's your home? If not, don't delay. You can come to him today because in a moment we're going to have a hymn of invitation. And when we start that hymn, if you'll walk out from your seat when we start singing, everybody will be standing. If you'll walk down and meet me here in front of this uh, table at the front there. I'll direct you to one of our men or women that are trained in the Word of God. If you're a man, it'll be to a man, a woman to a woman. But someone trained in the Word of God that will open that Bible and show you how to be saved. And you can walk out of here knowing that if you died today or 50 years from now, you'd go to heaven. But we can't do that. You've got to come first. We can't do that if you don't come. That's a Christian. You say, I'm a Christian. But boy, the consecration. I don't want my life to be a detriment to my children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren ending up in hell because of my attitude, because of the things that I do. I want them to look at me as a child of God, separated from sin in this world and separated unto God, and have the joy of the Lord such in my heart and life that they'll know that I have something that they don't and that they want. But that depends on your own personal consecration to God. Christian, if it's not where it ought to be, let's get it to where it ought to be today, okay? Let's do that. Let's bow our heads, please.